1: If you headed back in time and found yourself in an Edwardian drawing room, you'd more than likely be drawn to a print upon the wall. These prints, which adorned many abodes, were regarded for their whimsical portrayal of cats, but behind the frivolous playful kittens hid a dark secret. A household name back in his day but slowly lost to time, this artist charmed and delighted many people with his illustrations But when he found himself confined to an asylum under a veil of secrecy by his family, the public rallied to help. But was he actually as dangerously unwell as was reported, or was he suffering from another harmless condition? Today on Macabre London, we uncover the story of Louis Wayne, the Mad Catman. 1860 was making some significant advancements. The first iron-fronted armoured warship, the Warrior, was launched from the Thames, becoming the pride of the fleet, stamping England's naval superiority across the world. Queen Victoria was on the throne, in fact, she was halfway through what would be, unbeknownst to her, the longest reign for any monarch at that time. The current Queen has now eclipsed this record. And social leaps were being made into improving life in general for everyone. The first charity to protect stray cats and dogs was set up, later becoming Battersea Dogs Home. A law was passed which prevented food being tampered with, such as putting sawdust and chalk in bread, which had been very commonplace up until this point. Corporal punishment for children at the hands of teachers became regulated after a child was beaten to death in front of his classmates. Florence Nightingale set up the first school for female nurses, and Charles Dickens published Great Expectations, which shot the terrible living conditions of the poor into the spotlight for all to see. And perhaps the most British thing of all, which is actually a dish imported, but we'll brush that aside for the moment, the first fish and chip shop was opened right in the heart of London. Basically, it was the most Victorian year that ever there was. Then, along came Louis. Born in 1860 in Clerkenwell in central London, Louis Wayne was the eldest of six children. His mother, Julia Felicia, was a textiles worker who specialised in design for churches, and his father, William, was a draper specialising in silks. Creativity was highly regarded in the Wayne household. After all, his parents were in fairly creative fields, and his grandfather, on Felicia's side, was an artist. The Bohemian household saw the potential in Louis, but as he grew, it was obvious to his guardians that there were some things which may stand in the way of his development. Louis was born with a cleft lip and suffered from several bouts of illness as a young boy. When his parents consulted the family physician about their son, they were told that he should be kept at home and away from school until he was at least 10 years old, by which time he may be well enough and strong enough to handle education but more importantly, the classmates he would be around. Over this period, Louis' five siblings all arrived. He was the only boy, and his younger sisters adored him. The family unit was very close-knit, and when Louis began suffering from night terrors and a bout of scarlet fever, his parents feared they may lose their son. Louis rallied, however, and when he was back to full health, he was allowed to go to school, But sadly, his doctor's predictions were correct, and his classmates bullied him, resulting in him returning often with a bloody lip or a bruised eye, and these encounters would shape his face for the future after his schoolmates treated him to a broken nose on more than one occasion. Understandably, this led Louis often deciding to skip school in favour of spending time outside, where he would walk for hours, who would preferred to spend his time drawing outdoors alone than in the company of his violent schoolmates, and as such became an excellent illustrator at an early age. Louis passed on his artistic skills and knowledge to two of his curious younger sisters, and sought solace through his art on a regular basis. But that wasn't all Louis got up to. He was a real London lover, he used to wander for hours and find himself in places that inspired him, which would have bored any other teenage boy to tears. He wandered in art galleries, museums, and would sneak into lectures at universities. He would spend hours at the docks watching the ships come and go, chatting to the dock workers and sailors, and would find himself getting absorbed in the day-to-day life of those who lived in the city. This led him to attend readings of papers in coffee houses and this sparked his interest in attending school once again, but luckily by this point, his family had moved house, but remained in London, and he was sent to a different school, escaping his bullies. Even though his school life was more pleasant, Louis had become used to doing as he pleased, and if he wasn't taken with that day's lesson plan, he would head off into London to see where the day would take him. Like any good teenager, Louis had yet to work out what exactly it was that entertained him the most, and he trialled many creative endeavours. Alongside his drawing, he began a love of music and threw himself into the world of opera. He even composed and wrote a whole opera and pitched it to a conductor, but as there was never a production of the show, it must be assumed that this wasn't all that good, or at least not polished enough for the stage. Other pursuits that fascinated Louis were writing and chemistry, but neither of which he excelled at as much as his art, For he continued being a Renaissance man right up until he left school. After he left school, however, he decided to make art his primary study, and focused his time learning at the West London School of Art, but two short years later, he had to focus less on his own work and more on looking after his family. Just as Louis was hitting his stride at art school, a blow came when his father passed away, and at the age of 20, he found himself the patriarch of his family. At a time when it was difficult for women to earn a living on their own, Louis was charged with providing for not only his five sisters, but also his bereaved mother. With barely time to grieve himself, Louis fortuitously was offered an assistant teaching role at the college he had just finished studying at, which helped him keep food on the table in the interim until he could find a better job. Louis's mild-mannered nature wasn't suited to teaching, and he found himself bored with the job quite quickly. But it did help him to provide for his family, and in time gave him enough money to rent a studio space, so there were positives and negatives, but in his heart he wanted more from his career. To keep himself occupied, Louis worked tirelessly on his art at his studio after teaching. He also approached publications with his portfolio, hoping they may commission him to draw for them, and eventually his persistence and determination paid off. The Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News, Christmas Edition, published Louis for the first time on Saturday the 10th of December 1881. And, my dear Gauls, I very excitingly managed to track down this picture – if you're listening to the podcast, click on the video link in the show notes and jump to this timestamp in the video, and you'll be able to see it. In fact, I recommend that you do that anyway, as there's going to be plenty more pictures for this episode which will really help you with this story. Anyway, Louis's first picture, which featured two bullfinches on a branch which were miscaptioned as Robins, was his first step into illustration for work. He felt elated that all his hard work had paid off, Surely this was it now, and he'd made it, and everything would be okay, but no. Louis submitted around 30 further drawings to the ISDN, which he worked on after his day's teaching, and all of them were rejected. But impressed with his enthusiasm and tenacity, the editor William Ingram eventually gave him a job. Louis was given the glamorous task of reporting on agricultural shows around the country, This meant long train journeys, and then sitting in some not particularly fragrant places, sketching the fanciful fauna who would more than likely prefer to be at home in their paddock, but luckily for Louis, he was a quick sketcher. Even though the work wasn't the most desirable situation, it was a step in the right direction, and Louis was very thankful for this, as it allowed him to leave his teaching position, which he detested. The next few years saw him going all over the country drawing animals, At dog shows, he was asked a number of times to repeat his drawings for owners, and for a short while, he thought becoming a full-time dog portrait artist might be his forte. But he just wasn't that much of a big fan of dogs. At this time, he had enough money coming in on a regular basis to hire some help with the care of his sisters, and to give them some homeschooling, taking the pressure off their mother. The options for schooling for girls and women were restricted to say the least, and as it was thought that boys and girls definitely couldn't mix in classrooms, girls were given the short straw and could only be taught at home. Louis didn't want his sisters to not at least have some kind of education, after all, he didn't like being taught or teaching himself, and as he was required to earn the crust for the household, he couldn't do it, so he and the eldest sister, Caroline, hired a governess to take care of the girls. Emily Richardson moved into the family home, and after a while, Cupid's arrow was fired, and he began to fall for her, and the feeling was mutual. This would have been fine if not for the fact that Emily was ten years his senior, which was highly scandalous at the time, and when the relationship was uncovered by the sisters, Emily was given her marching orders. Louis stood by Emily and left the family home, and the pair moved in together into a little house in Hampstead, where they were soon married at the local church. The wedding was so frowned upon from both sides of the family that no one attended the ceremony at all. The couple were very happy and now estranged from their families, all they had was each other. However, their world was about to come crashing down. Emily started to become tired on a regular basis and took to her bed, sometimes for days in a row. The doctors diagnosed her with breast cancer, and back then, with no treatment available, it was a terminal diagnosis. Emily and Louis spent the next few years in their home in Hampstead, where Emily would often be confined to her bed. One night, when the rain was lashing down outside, the pair heard a faint meowing coming from the garden and went to investigate In the pouring rain, they found a bedraggled black and white kitten, who they took inside and warmed up by the fire. He became the lightness in the dark of Emily's illness, and they called him Peter. To cheer up Emily on her bedridden days, Louis would sketch Peter in a cartoon style, and this greatly amused her. She encouraged him to draw more, and to try and get them published. When he showed his editor, William, these sketches, He gave some constructive criticism upon them and asked Louis to keep trying, but that he would definitely find somewhere to print them. Louis's first cat pictures, titled Our Cats, A Domestic History, were published in Williams' weekly magazine, The London Illustrated News. And guess who was the star of the piece? Peter. Over the next two years, Louis continued drawing cats for Emily alongside his regular commissioned work, but when William was looking for a humorous piece for his Christmas edition of the London Illustrated News, he knew where to go. William asked Louis to draw A Christmas of Cats, and so he did. This enormous 11-panel work encompassed a variety of cats and kittens carrying out all manner of Christmas activities, from writing cards, playing games and even dancing, with a cat band providing the accompaniment. The work, titled A Kitten's Christmas Party, was a fantastic anthropomorphic depiction of cats, the style of which had never been produced before, and it was lauded by the general public, who adored the work. Sadly for Louis, the high of his success ended abruptly, when just a week later, Emily passed away. Louis was broken by Emily's death, but at least he still had Peter, The pair packed up and moved out of their home, as Louis couldn't bear to be at the house where Emily had died. He found a room in Westminster and continued his work, but he was a shell of a man and his grief was all-encompassing. It was at this time his personality started to change. Not a hugely outgoing person anyway, Louis became even more introverted and withdrawn. He kept himself to himself and was prone to not leaving the house for days on end. It was his art that he turned to to get him through, and he found he could cheer himself up by drawing cartoons. It was then he began to re-emerge into society, and would sit in coffee shops and pubs, and began sketching them as cats. He found he had a talent for morphing human characteristics into the bodies of cats, and by Christmas the following year, and off the back of the success of A Kitten's Christmas Party, William commissioned not one, but two cat pieces for the festive season – These more human-like depictions resonated even more with the public, and as the word spread about the humorous felines, Louis began receiving more and more job offers for his work. Alongside his day-to-day work, Louis still kept on with his drawing of anything that interested him, not just cats. With the job offers rolling in, Louis lacked the business acumen to make sure he was compensated fairly and on several occasions ended up being hugely swindled in return for his work. Given the amount of work he was churning out, Louis should have been living rather comfortably, but he was often taken advantage of, and his work undersold, and now, with Emily dead, he was back paying for his sisters and elderly mother again, who had rather conveniently taken him back into the fold. In order to save money, and in a prompt from his publisher William, who by this time was more of a friend than an employer, wanted him to have a better relationship with his sisters, the family moved away from London to Westgate-on-Sea in Kent and enjoyed their calmer pace of life, but when one of the sisters started to suffer from delusions, the family was put in turmoil and the brunt of the care costs were to come from Louis's paycheck. Josephine was put in care and certified as insane and spent the following 13 years in hospital before passing away. The years in Westgate saw Louis create thousands of drawings, and he'd become so prolific in his production of his cat pictures that he was commissioned to make a few books, and also a series of postcards, which would be mass-produced, making his work accessible for the general public to own. However, the wolves were never far from the door, and Louis was forever being ripped off by those who knew they could take advantage of him. Despite his bad business skills, Louis's work did become extremely popular, And you would have been hard pressed to walk into an Edwardian home and not find his work upon its walls, or at least on a postcard or two.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: Louis didn't understand reproduction fees and sold his work without protection on it, and his pieces were printed again and again and again, and he never saw a penny for his work once he'd sold the initial drawings, leaving publishers to get rich off the back of him. When Peter passed away at the grand age of 14, Louis got himself some other cat companions which helped him with his work, and he became even more obsessed with the animals, drawing them more and more. But his work was starting to drop out of favour a little with the British public as the novelty was wearing off. But the Americans, however, had yet to learn the majesty of Mr Wayne's felines. Louis was offered some illustration work in New York, which would initially last four weeks, but due to the popularity of his work in America, he ended up staying in New York for two years. When he received word that his elderly mother was growing increasingly ill, he jumped on a boat home but he didn't make it in time to say goodbye, and she died before he returned. To make matters worse, Louis had seemingly been conned by an inventor whilst he was in New York, who convinced him to invest almost all of his money into a new invention an oilless lamp. The invention never saw the light of day. Now penniless, Louis and his sisters struggled for a number of years, but there was still a reasonable interest in his work, which helped to keep them going. He produced a few more collections of his cartoons, and strangely went into producing ceramic cats, which were quite different from anything he'd made before. But when the First World War broke out, a shipment of the cats was sunk at sea, which again cleared Louis out of his funds. A few of the ceramics did survive, but not enough to make his money back. As the war progressed, Louis's cartoons were definitely not required in the newspapers, and the offer of work really did dry up. But after the war, his work began to pick up again, and over the next few years, Louis became an ambassador for all things feline. He became an advocate for animal rights, was the patron of many animal charities, and even judged at several cat shows, becoming the president of the National Cat Club. He put together the first ever stud book for breeding cats, and was considerably more involved than I think anyone thought he would be. He designed the Cat Club's coat of arms and wrote extensively about the treatment of cats at home and abroad in newspaper articles, where he would share his indignation if cats were treated any less than the furry kings and queens they are. The sisters, the eldest of which was now in her 40s, were all old enough to marry, and yet none of them ever did. Instead, Louis was left paying for everyone. In a society where women were only valued through marriage, or at the lower end of the spectrum kept in workhouses or allowed to work in factories for hardly any money, it was incredibly difficult for the sisters to do anything which would raise money, particularly enough to live. Louis, who was now in his 50s, was really starting to decline mentally. His health started to plummet, and with being entirely charged with his sister's care, it all became a little too much for him. His behaviour became increasingly worrisome. He would suffer from major anxiety and delusions. His once-calm manner was becoming aggressive and confrontational, and he was not pleasant to be around. When he suffered a fall from a bus sustaining a head injury, things became even worse, and his sisters bore the brunt of it. He argued with them and became suspicious of their activities, and when Caroline, the eldest sister, passed away during the flu epidemic of 1917, Louis insisted the remaining sisters were responsible for her death. He would write long and scathing letters about his sisters to his peers, and would often rearrange the house when they were out, never comfortable with how it was laid out. He would wander off into the night on a regular basis, often leaving the door wide open and not return for a few days, never saying where he had been when he returned. He would sit in his room and write for hours, but when his words were read back, the sentences were incoherent and nonsensical. There would be periods where he would be fine, coherent and like the old Louis, and during these periods, he still worked producing whole books, but an episode of ill health never seemed far off. He was commissioned to illustrate several children's books, and during this time his work became more and more abstract. Louis began drawing cats in increasingly colourful styles, and the backgrounds of his work became psychedelic. But his work had hugely dropped out of favour, and when books with his name attached failed to sell well, his descent into paranoia and outbursts increased. He became obsessed that he was controlled by electricity and had developed healing powers as a result. He thought his sisters were too controlled by electricity and they were turning evil as a result. He thought he was also haunted and regularly saw spirits and ghosts and the delusions had become overwhelming. The final straw for his family, however, was when the previously gentle-natured Louis became violent and the sisters struggled to control him at home. After two separate events, where he violently attacked one sister by throwing her out of the home by her throat, and another when he tried to throw one of them down the stairs. The situation had become too much for them to deal with, and in order to protect themselves, Louis was taken to Surrey County Asylum, and placed on a pauper's ward. It was here he was officially certified as insane by a doctor. Louis spent a year in the mental asylum where he was secretly sequestered. His family kept his condition under wraps, and in a time where it was highly shameful to suffer from any mental health condition, particularly one which would land you in an asylum, Louis was sent there quietly. A newspaper found out that Louis was in the mental hospital, and the story was splashed across his pages and the public were appalled at the conditions a once loved artist was in and It wasn't long before people rallied to help him. Exhibitions of his work were put together to raise money for him and his sisters. Opera was performed in his honour, and the proceeds donated to his cause and Even the Prime Minister, Ramsay MacDonald got involved to help save Louis from the poor hospital and to get him into somewhere more comfortable. Even HG Wells, the author, who was now a big household name himself, put out a radio broadcast which highlighted the plight of Louis, and conjured up happy memories of this incredibly influential artist, which would hopefully encourage people to help get him out of poverty and into a better hospital. Bethlehem Hospital was a far nicer place to be than the basic asylum Louis was placed in before, and with the Appeal for Help being a success, he was moved there in 1925. In addition to the campaign, Prime Minister Macdonald also saw that the sisters received a pension on behalf of their brother's services to the country, in light of his contribution to the art world. When Bethlehem underwent a relocation from Southwark in London to Beckenham in Kent, Louis was moved to Knapsbury Hospital, just outside of St Albans, which he found very pleasant. Its gardens were vast, and he could spend his time sitting and sketching in nature, as he had wanted to do when he was a boy. As a patient, he was mostly well-behaved and calm, but would have occasional periods of change where he would hoard items, think his food was poisoned, and go through periods of being very confused. Whilst in hospital, Louis continued with his work. After all, it was one of the only constant things that had been in his life, he went through periods of producing some very classic paintings of lovely, calm scenes, which only had one or two small cats in them. He also went through a period where he would just draw patterns in geometric shapes, which would look like his beloved cats. It's these artworks which some people believe portray his mental deterioration, but it's proven that he did periodically change back to more recognisable artworks, and that it wasn't actually a linear progression. The staff would ask him to help decorate the wards at Christmas time at Knapsbury, and he would often draw cats for them to take home to their families, and contrary to popular opinion, his skill didn't actually deteriorate. His sisters were still visiting him in the hospital, and would take work to be published from time to time as it was requested of him. He even had an exhibition of his hospital works, and was still producing competent illustrations right up until the very end. In fact, his last ever drawing was one of his felines. Louis died at Knapsbury Hospital on the 4th of July 1939, and was laid to rest in St Mary's Churchyard in Kendall Green. After his death around 15 years later, a collection of Louis's artwork was published in a book titled Psychotic Art, which put two of his illustrations side by side supposedly showing the deterioration of Louis's mental state into schizophrenia. The myth of Louis being schizophrenic was born, and was perpetuated in several psychology books afterwards. Out of the thousands of artworks Louis produced, eight were picked up by two doctors from the Maudsley Hospital, who displayed them alongside each other, apparently showing Wayne's descent into madness. The Disintegrating Cat series, as they came to be known, were displayed together, but these works were undated and, as such, can't be given any provenance as to when they were produced, and in what order. These illustrations were cobbled together in a collection, which was entirely fabricated. Louis' mental health diagnosis never saw him being labelled as schizophrenic. In fact, when he was at Bethlehem Hospital, he was diagnosed with paraphrenia a condition where the person has delusions, but their personality remains relatively the same as before, unlike schizophrenia, where the personality is entirely changed. It's believed now as a posthumous diagnosis that, alongside his hallucinations, Louis had some signs of early-onset dementia as well, and this only exacerbated his mental health problems. We also have to consider that mental illness ran in his family, he suffered many devastating losses of loved ones in his life, and sustained a head injury from falling off a bus before being shut away in an asylum for posterity. So why did he decide to draw such fantastical drawings when he was in hospital? And why are these pictures his legacy? For one, it's definitely the intervention of Gutman and Maclay, the two mortally doctors, who decided to make Louis seem like something he was not, and falsely diagnosed him, but I believe it's also due to people's incessant need to group things together and put people in boxes. After all, the disintegrating cat collection gives Louis a definitive story. A man on the brink, a depiction of deterioration, and we as humans love that. A good thread to tie everything together. But the truth is far less sensationalist and far more endearing. Louis Wayne wasn't a mad old cat man, he was just a man who loved cats. Thanks so much for joining me for that episode. As always, I'd love to know your theories on this one, so do please leave your thoughts in the comments on YouTube or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast whilst you're here if you wouldn't mind giving the video a thumbs up or the show a rating on your podcast provider then i'll be eternally grateful as it's so helpful with the pesky algorithm and also it lets me know that you enjoy what i make and that i'm not just shouting into the void of the internet on a regular basis and please tell your friends about the show as it's so very helpful in spreading the word and we're getting close to christmas now so it will definitely start building up those niceless brownie points for santa if you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed and you've made it to this point in the episode, what are you doing? Hit subscribe. I'd love for you to join the Ghoul Gang. We're a friendly bunch and we seem to be growing numbers, so do come and join us. Also, if you like the show and you've got a few spare pennies and you'd like to support what I do, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing, legendary executive Patreon producers, Amy, Barry, Bethan, Kate, Mary, Wren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month, you get to vote on what episodes I make next, and also depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies through the post too. If you're not up for a long-term commitment and you'd just like to buy me a coffee or something from the Amazon wishlist, then there's one-off donation links in the description too, or you can use the Acastr supporter link at the beginning of the podcast, or the thanks button underneath my video on YouTube. All the support goes towards helping me make more episodes, and thank you so much for your help, or even considering to help. It means a lot. Thanks for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Drews, and I'll see you ghouls next time. Just going to give you a, uh, a shimmy of me tassels there. Sounds worse for the podcast listeners. Come to the video and you'll see what I mean. <laughs>